everybody this is brett and i'm christian and you're listening to the gilded films podcast 2002 edition listeners we're gonna paint the town and all that jazz that should give you a hint at what our episode is about and hello everybody welcome back to the gilda films podcast which picture was best Uh, as you know we're here to talk about the nominations in particular the nominations of the 75th academy awards which honored the films of 2002 uh, took place on March 23rd, 2003. I'm very excited. Uh, again, this is another one that I picked, and I picked it for a very specific reason, because it is one of my favorite films that ended up winning Best Picture. Uh, and actually, it's kind of weird that we we're doing back-to-back Best Picture winners that are musicals. I didn't even... Oh, wow, yeah. I'm just realizing that. Uh, so hi, it's me, Christian, and welcome to... Welcome to... Hello, welcome to Brett. <laughs> hello, welcome to Brett. Glad to be here. <laughs> It's his podcast, and I'm just introducing it. <laughs> and uh, here with us today, it has been a, a year, I think, since she has been on the podcast. But we told you that she'd be back for the second round of uh, the 2000s. Welcome back, the one, the only, my best friend, Maddie. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello again. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Did you enjoy the films? had to look over the list real quick just to make sure I knew my answer. <laughs> yeah, I liked most of them. Most yeah. of them. <laughs> well, like, 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 uh, like we said in the last episode when uh, Maddie was on, which was a year ago with our Lord of the Rings, Beautiful Mind, Moulin Rouge episode, she will be back for the uh, second Lord of the Rings film, which is also this year. And then we'll see her again for the next time we do the Lord of the Rings. So she is our Tolkien expert. She's our Tolkien token expert. <laughs> wow. <good>. Anyway, <laughs> that's my introduction. Thank you. Go ahead, Brett. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, very excited to have Maddie back and dive back into the 2000s, which is right around the time I think you started watching the Oscars Christian, if I'm not mistaken. So kind of I exciting. Have memories, I have memories of this one, which is weird because I didn't see it. I just caught like the after shows on like Access mm-hmm. Hollywood. Very nice. Uh, but yes, uh, we are talking about the 75th Academy Awards. Big year for that. They were held on March 23rd, 2003. Uh, as Christian implied, our Best Picture winner that evening was Chicago, which was actually the first musical to win since Oliver uh, in 1968, which makes it even more interesting that we've done two straight musicals. It's not like we've had a ton win, um, especially in that frame. So uh, best director, very controversial this year. It did go to Roman Polanski, who, of course, could not attend because he was in exile. Uh, and so very controversial, but people stood up and cheered loudly when he won. Including, There's like a now famous video of Meryl Streep just going nuts when Roman Polanski won. So also Jack Nicholson was pretty happy, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's even weirder because of his role in the whole story. So uh 
but yeah, um, very, not a good look. Best actress that year went to Nicole Kidman for the hours. As Christian says she won by a nose. Yeah. Okay. A fake nose. I will say, um, best actor went to Adrian Brody, which was also a big surprise. He won for the pianist, uh, because he did not win a major precursor coming into this night. It was expected to be like Daniel day Lewis, or maybe even Jack Nicholson. Uh, Brody was definitely unexpected and he also had a pretty awful acceptance. He went and just like grabbed Halle Berry and made out with her on stage. And that was bad. Um, best supporting actress was Catherine Zeta Jones for Chicago. Best supporting actor went to Chris Cooper for adaptation from Spike Jones that year. In addition to winning best picture, Chicago did get the most wins on the night with six and had the most nominations with 13 which as we talked about with um, Mary Poppins was tied for second most all time. Once again, Steve Martin was the host for the second time. He had done it just a few years earlier. Christian, I know you have a few notes on this, so I'll let you expand on what that was all about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the Iraq war had actually started a couple days prior to the ceremony. And there was a whole talk about wanting to cancel the awards with, yeah, again, like a couple of days to go. But instead, uh, there was no glitz and glamour of it all. So they canceled the red carpet. And as Steve Martin said, like, that'll stop him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it was just a weird time politically, especially. And we'll talk in a, in a little bit about a speech that was super controversial mm. about it. But yeah, it was very timely. I mean, it's not even a week had passed since the war started. And there was a couple of uh, also speeches uh, about peace. And I know Hayao Miyazaki, who would win for Spirited Away, which we'll talk about that film as well. He did not attend for that reason that we were getting into war. So, yeah. Very interesting. Interesting time. Um, On a lighter note, Christian's good friend, Julianne Moore, became the ninth performer uh, to receive two acting nominations in the same year. She was nominated for leading actress and supporting actress, although she was definitely a lead in both movies, in my opinion, but we'll get to that. Um, Lose Yourself from Eminem was the first rap song to win best original song. Um, and, you know, he, wasn't, he there, wasn't, even there. wasn't there to accept, wasn't there to perform. He performed it like randomly last year uh, for the 2019 Oscars. So interesting history there. Um, this was actually the 13th nomination for Meryl Streep, um, which made her the most nominated actor in history, surpassing Catherine Hepburn and Jack Nicholson also got his 12th. Um, and so to this day, he is, he extended his record for the most nominated male actor in Oscars history. Um, one of the big shoutouts of the night was gangs of New York. It went 0 for 10 which is really interesting because that happened to Martin Scorsese just last year with the Irishman also went over 10. So he has some bad luck with that. He's, he's a winner now, obviously, but interesting. Uh, Peter O'Toole honorary award winner. I think he ended up with what eight or nine competitive nominations and never won. So um, glad he got that at least. And as Christian mentioned earlier, a very controversial speech that I think is just nowadays one of the most iconic speeches that I've seen from the Oscars. And it was Michael Moore winning best documentary for Bowling for Columbine, which we'll also talk about. 
Um, he basically called out President Bush for creating a fictitious war based on fictitious lies. Um, got a lot of booze, if I remember correctly. So Yeah, and it's kind of funny because today, you know, he probably would not be being booed for that. Yeah. That's one of those moments because you feel so patriotic. And again, like a few days, war had just begun. And nowadays you'd be like, well, maybe Michael's right. Yeah, exactly. Cool moment um, that, Christian, if you want to expand upon, 75 former acting winners actually appeared live on stage as presented by Olivia de Havilland. Yeah. Um, so she came to the Oscars, and it was the first time in probably, I don't know, decades. Uh, so obviously standing ovation for her. She looks lovely, actually. If you watch the video on YouTube, it's like 12 minutes long. But like Julie Andrews, you got Kathy Bates, Halle Berry, Ernest Borgnine, let's see, George Shakiris, Sean Connery. Uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Louise Fletcher, uh, Joel Gray. I don't want to say anybody controversial in case they're like, you know, bad <laughs> now. Celeste Holm was there. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Uh, Martin Landau. Who is this? Patricia Neal. Yes. I'm watching the video because there's no like list I could find. Um, Mickey Rooney was there and he has like the best moment with Steve Martin during the monologue because they sat all of them in the back. I'm pretty sure so they could line up quickly mm. and Mickey Rooney's trying to talk and it's like, we have no mic on you, sir. <laughs> but yeah, it was just a nice moment. And then the four acting winners of the night had uh, also come out on stage since they're part of the alumni now. Oh, gotcha. But yeah, gotcha. it's like an actually, like if you watch it, it's a cool moment. And I really hope they do that for the hundredth anniversary, which, you know, that'll be in what, six years or so. Yeah. Well, it's really funny as you were listing those names, I was just like, a lot of these people aren't around anymore. Um, right. you know, like they passed on. So I'm, I'm glad they were able to do that while they were all still around. And they even did like some honorary ones too. Like Mickey Rooney never won, but he has honorary awards. Oh. Yeah. So. Very nice. Um, always kind of like to point out the ratings because that's always an interesting conversation. There were three, about 33 million viewers this year which was the least watched Oscar ceremony up to that point. Um, I guess maybe people were more concerned about a war starting than the Oscars, I guess. But it's just really funny because now we get like nine. Um, so they would kill for 33 million. But interesting stuff. All right. That's kind of a brief rundown of the, that year's Oscars in general. And now we are ready to dive into these nominees. Obviously, this was still a year of five. So we've got five films to talk about today. And I will go ahead and take us away with our first film, which you could say was the big loser of the night. I guess you would say Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. Um, so this is basically the story of, I guess, Martin Scorsese's telling of the making of modern America takes place in 1860s, right around the time where the Civil War is happening in New York City. Um, also time where we're seeing a, a lot of immigration to the city, you know, Ellis Island. And, and so um, it follows Amsterdam Ballon, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who has a kind of a weird half in half out Irish accent in this movie. But as a child, he witnessed the killing of his father, who's played by Liam Neeson, and the dissolving of like his father's gang at the hands of Bill the Butcher Cutting, who is played by Daniel Day-Lewis. And so Amsterdam ends up in an orphanage, and when he finally gets out, he is vowing that he is going to kill Bill the Butcher. 
Um, and all this is happening, you know, while kind of looking at this like New York gang culture and um, the, the different ethnicities of the city of the time. Like I said, it is kind of Martin Scorsese's version of this like historical look. And it does come about in his kind of typical style, um, which surprisingly, I think was actually one of the problems with the movie. I mean, I, I obviously love Martin Scorsese. I love his distinct directorial style, but at times here, I, I felt like it was just too much, um, especially with the editing. I, I mean, I love Thelma Schoonmacher. I think she is, you know, a, a indescribably valuable piece of Martin Scorsese's success as a filmmaker. Like, I don't know. I don't think he would be who he is without her. But the editing here, especially like during the fight scenes, it just seems like too frantic to me for this like historical tale and didn't really work for me a whole lot. Um, like I said, you've also got accents all over the place here. It, it's kind of ridiculous. They, they probably should have casted a lot better from people like from the areas they're presenting. Uh, but I will, what I will say is I actually really, really like Daniel Day-Lewis here. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is pretty much always terrific in nearly everything he does. And I think that's certainly the case here. Bill the Butcher is just undeniably horrific, but also like, I, I think the film actually is a good job of like getting down to him deeper as a character and a little bit more complex than just the villain. Um, especially as DiCaprio's character is getting to know him. And we get the sense that DiCaprio may actually have a bit of a fonding for him, despite what he's done. Um, it's a really interesting dynamic there, but Film's also really long. Um, I don't really feel that often with Scorsese's film. I think that he makes it feel shorter than it is at times, but at times it does kind of drag a little bit in the middle for me. So those are my original thoughts. Y'all feel free to take it away on this Marty film. I will go first uh, with this, but it's it's fine. I don't really, I don't know. I don't care for it as much this time around and this is my third time and amazingly i think when i was in like seventh grade when i first watched this i loved it so much that i bought the dvd and i saw it i think last year and it was fine even then but i i don't think i'll ever see it again but like you said it feels long a lot of the times during this and it doesn't feel like a scorsese movie to me mm. and i don't know if i'm just so used to the gangster stuff from him but even the uh two years later he'll do the aviator in 2004 that feels like a Scorsese movie to me. And it, that sort of feels along the lines of this, where we have like a historical fiction setting. I think that's done amazingly. This is done. It's fine. The real sell here is Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he's convincing. He's evil, like you said. Leonardo's... I have my opinions on him, but... I, Leonardo did a much better movie, which we will talk about for this year, okay? Yes. Yeah, the downfall of Leonardo starts now for me because I don't, I personally don't think he can act that well in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think between, between like this, uh, not this, um, Catch Me If You Can and The Aviator, great performances. Other than that, I, it's, I mean, you know, young version of him is fine. Cameron Diaz is in here. Don't ask me why. <laughs> you know what? Scorsese saw Shrek and he was like, oh, I need her. I need her in this movie. But yeah, it's fine. I kind of lost interest in it really early on. The opening fight scene's pretty good. And I think the history of this is really good too because it's something that you don't really know about. It's a very New York niche uh, story, I guess, if you're into the history of New York. Yeah. Like the 
you know, the time period it's set in. But yeah, it's fine. It's very long. The ending is pretty on the nose of recent events that happened a year before. But And to think, too, this was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And it, like read a lot of the uh, the stuff on this. This is going to be, I think, even longer. And he wanted to cut. It's like, hey, <laughs> Marty, maybe listen to the man, <laughs> even though he's doing shit. Also, before Maddie talks, I just found out Kenneth Lonergan co-wrote this. Yes. Oh, what? I just wild I to me. This. That's weird. Okay, I'm done. Also, Henry Thomas is in this from ET. Okay, I couldn't. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm I'm shook at things I'm just discovering. Also, this movie took like 20 years to make. What's the deal? Why don't people believe in Marty? Why don't people believe in Martin Scorsese that he has projects 20 years in the making and then he makes them 20 years plus when he's an old man? I mean, I'm surprised that his new movie is being made right now because that book did not come, The Killers of the Flowers Moon did not come out that long ago. Right. But yeah, Gangs of, New York, mm, Gangs of New York is fine. It's a very American movie for, it's a perfect movie for a perfect time. There, you know, go. Yeah. You too. Born in the streets. Uh, so... You know, as Brett said, it's like a game of following the bouncing accent. It's like I couldn't I literally I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over it. Sure, perhaps you can argue that, you know, changing times, you know, they're growing up around a lot of different accents. They just, you know, no, I can't even make that argument actually. Never mind. I refuse. I think Daniel Day Lewis has the most convincing accent out of all of them and I appreciated his performance very much the whole movie felt like yeah it was originally three and a half hours is what the original cut was and then he dropped it down to two hours and what 59 minutes it did drag some of the time I feel like they're disjointed storylines like I could see where they were trying you know they want to match up the the like I guess, old new Americans with the uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's group of the, the quote, the natives is what their gang was called versus the incoming Irish immigrants. Like that was a setting. The civil war was also happening, which felt kind of thrown in there, even though, I don't know, it was also claustrophobic feeling. I don't know. I was not a fan of this movie. I was pretty angry about it. <laughs> uh, but my roommate loved this movie, so. I was huh. gonna say, do you think it felt claustrophobic because it was always in some sort of bar setting, or they're like in their own underground spaces? And they're all sweating yeah. <laughs> so much. I was nastied out by their hair constantly plastered <laughs> on their yeah. heads, like the guy in the airplane. Like when he starts sweating like crazy, like I felt like that was that. <laughs> situation it's like oh my god but yeah I mean the setting was very it was five points right so it either took place like mm -hmm. inside of a few select areas like underground or in the I don't I don't know what they were called I mean they're like the previous apartments slash slums that they kicked everybody out of so it was like yeah I guess four distinct settings, but I don't know. Yeah, it just felt very like a. It felt like a small world, I guess, which I can see it could be the point. But yeah, I wasn't blown away by anybody's performance except for Daniel Day Lewis. He was good as always, but I wasn't amazed. 
I guess. I like, I don't know. I think that um, this movie is kind of hard to grasp if you don't know the, the history of what's going on here. Because somebody like me in Kansas, I have no idea what Five Points is. Yeah, same. I've only heard heard of Boss Tweed through Mm -hmm. references in other movies. I don't know why he's important. I don't know what the deal with Tammany Hall was. I mean, this movie didn't help at all. Like, you really have to pay attention to get that. And if it's like, like for Maddie and I dragging on, you lose so much interest. It's like, oh, okay, they're still talking about all this. Like, yeah, somebody going to get butchered. When does the butchering well, start? That might be part of the, the claustrophobia too, is that like, one, they're on these confined spaces and at any time someone can come in and try to murder them, you know, because there's so much, you know, gang violence that they're portraying. But I know you're, Christian, your, your point about Leonardo DiCaprio is interesting because this is one of like our main points of disagreement on film is that I love Leo. Like I'm love the guy, but I agree. Like he's, this is not, one of his good performances and I, I think it's what you said like I can't get past the accent and how inconsistent it is like when it started like when he first could, and it doesn't help that he has um voiceover in the film too like he narrates it so when it first comes on and it doesn't even really sound like he has an accent and then all of a sudden he does it's extremely jarring um you can probably tell that he was super nervous to be working with Daniel Day-Lewis that was too, the king, yeah. Yeah. Of like modern method, getting into that character, staying in character, right? And it's like Leo, just don't try. Yeah. The other two guys I I do want to spotlight in this movie. One who I liked when he was on, and I just wish he had more screen time was Brendan Brendan Gleeson. Um, he's nothing that I kind of like in everything. He's a good like character actor, but I don't think he had enough screen time here. And the other His one. Final- his final scene in this is I that's one of the iconic moments there that I gasped yeah um the other one who I would just say is our Thomas Mitchell of this year is John C. Riley, and I say that because he appears in so many movies this year and three best picture nominees so just want to throw that out there for him because and I love John C. Riley. so there you go um but no I, I do enjoy the production design as well but I think you're also looking at a year where the two towers came out far from heaven came out uh, and other just really good feats in production design. So it kind of gets lost in Chicago, obviously, but um, as we said, this did not have any wins, um, but it did have 10 nominations for best picture, best director, actor for day Lewis, uh, original screenplay, cinematography, art direction, costume design, film editing, sound, and original song from U2, The Hands That Built America, which it shows up at the end, I'm pretty sure. So Yeah, and it was like the front runner song too. Really interesting. I will say, and we'll get to Adrian Brody, but just the performance from Day-Lewis is the type that wins Oscars. The one from Brody not always the case because it's a lot more you know subtle and reserved so it's a really interesting how that came about especially with no precursors for brody so yeah we'll get to that more the ending shot of this movie is also like i said pretty on the nose yeah Yeah. i almost thought a little too on the nose yeah i was like okay marty just Uh, say it it's the, it's (laughs) the twin powers show up yeah 
and this is 2002, so it's only been about a year. And supposedly, I mean, there was a creative decision to take it out, but shoot yeah. your Sean, just keep it in there. People will cheer. <laughs> All right. Any further thoughts? Oh, oh yeah, go oh, ahead. Yeah. No, no, yeah, further thought here. Um, again, Harvey Weinstein produced this, and he also produced uh, Chicago. But I had read that he really pushed for this one to win more, and I think because of the whole patriotic feel. But you can see slowly in videos of this night that he's sitting between Chicago and Gangs of New York group sat next to each other at the theater, and he's sitting like on the gang side. But you know, he crosses over a lot, so he slowly he's the meme with the guy looking behind. So he's looking behind at Chicago while the person holding his hand is clearly gangs in New York. And yeah. Well, also like Scorsese had never won at that point. Right. And this is only four years removed from the departed where he finally did win. So I could see where that there being a strong push to finally give him something, but did not happen. But... All right. On to our next film, Christian, you are going to take this one away. So have, Oh boy. Well, speaking of, uh, Speaking of weirdos, this is a film produced by Scott Rudin. <laughs> wow, this is very timely. Okay, so our next film nominated is The Hours. Oh boy. And it is directed by Stephen Daldry, and it tells three interwoven, connected storylines of three different women. And I will go in chronological order here. But the first is about Virginia Woolf, the famous author. She wrote Mrs. Dalloway, I don't know what else. Oh my God, I'm blanking. <laughs> my apologies to Wolf. I don't anyway, either. <laughs> so it's about, her, it's about her, her life, her struggles with depression, uh, with mental illness. It begins with her suicide in a river, which is true. To, it, that's, this is like the true part of the story. And then we flash to the 50s where we meet a housewife, Laura Brown, played by Julianne Moore. Another film that she is in this year. Uh, and she is, like I said, a California housewife in the 1950s. You can definitely tell she's an unhappy housewife. She's married to John C. Riley in second film. And she spends the day daydreaming and also reading her book, Mrs. Dalloway, written by Virginia Woolf. Whoa. I also didn't say that Virginia Woolf was played by Nicole Kidman. And the final story takes place in modern times, so 2001, where Clarissa Vaughn, who is the one, the only Meryl Streep, she is planning a party for her friend, um, Richard, played by Ed Harris, he has AIDS, uh, famous poets, he most likely doesn't have that much longer to live, and it's mostly a day in the life of these three women. It's a very melancholy film, it's a very disjointed film in my opinion, because I know everybody that I've ever seen talk about this film is in love with it, and I think it's just like the most overrated piece of crap ever. I will say that. I don't care. We'll lose people. It's the most overrated piece of crap film that makes no fucking sense. I don't understand what it is trying to say here, except for it feels like a women's picture, like you would see in the 1950s. Everybody's depressed. There's not a single happy person in here. Maybe don't read this book because it'll make you depressed. Get the damn flowers yourself. I don't care. Um, the best part of this film is the Meryl Streep section of it, which everybody talks about the Nicole Kidman section because she won the Oscar. I don't think she should have. I don't know. I don't care for this film at all, clearly from the talking about it. But 
I don't know. It might be somebody's cup of tea. I just don't like the way it's disjointly edited. Because again, I know that there's a bigger theme here. I don't know what it is and I don't care to look it up ever. So yeah, that's the hours. And uh, yeah, I spent two hours of my life watching it and this is my fourth time watching. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And every time I tell myself I'm going to like it and I never do. Maddie, feel free if you want to go. Cool. Um, I liked it more than that. <laughs> it's funny that you, I liked the editing. It's funny that you didn't like the editing. I felt like it quickened the pace on some like, I mean, stop looking at me like that. I mean, they're all like the three days. They're all kind of menial. You know, so I can see, yeah, it is like just a day in the life and whatever. Cool. I, I don't know why. Um, what's her name? <laughs> Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I don't know why she won Best Actress for this. I will say that is a pretty like monotone. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the nose. <laughs> she wore it so well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I liked it a little bit more than Christian did, I think. I mean, I liked it more than Gangs of New York, to be sure. Um, I know, shocking. But I liked Meryl Streep a lot in it, obviously. I mean, she's almost always the best part of any movie that she's in. Um, but, you know, we read Mrs. Dalloway in my, like, 20th century literature class or something. Um, but, you know, it it talks a lot about mental illness and existential issues. And I don't know, like as um, Julianne Moore kind of says as her character, you know, it's like this woman that everybody thinks is okay, but she's really, really not. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like this movie a little bit more than this piece of crap. <laughs> I'm going to not defend this movie for the rest of my days. I don't know why you watched it so many times. Is it because you really were just like, I'm going to like it this time? Yes. Okay. First time was <laughs> just because obviously i never seen it. Second time was I wanted to try it again. Third time was because I was trying to watch all the best actress winners. Fourth time was for this. Well, and, and let's be if someone came to you and said, you know, hey, Christian, there's this movie and the three leads are Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, and Nicole Kidman. I mean, I imagine you and probably most people would be like, sign me up. Honestly, like, sign the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm glad we went in this order because I think I'm kind of in the middle. I would say I, I like it, but it's like on that barrier where I'm like, I like it, but I almost don't like it. Um, right? Like square in the middle. Um, I also I think the thing that we all three agree on is like Nicole Kidman winning best actress for this. I, I just, I don't even see it. I, it, it's... I don't know. Like she's for me, she's by far the, the worst of the three here. Um, and you know, I, I guess, and it's not like that she's bad. It's not like a Rami Malek situation with the fake teeth, you know, but like it's, it is like, it's just, I hate to use the word, but it's a boring win to me. Um, and Thank yeah, you. She does nothing with this role. Yeah. I, I really, yeah. I don't, I can't recall any like, major aspects of her performance that just really stuck with me 
Julianne Moore and Meryl Streep. Yeah. Like I, I can point to scenes where they did really good work. I, I really like Meryl Streep here. Um, Ed Harris, even, you know, he got that supporting actor nomination. I thought he did a really nice job here. Um, Tony Collette in a very Tony Collette. Role. Yes. Yeah. Even her. Yeah. I mean, it's just the most, the most forgettable role in pretty much the whole movie aside from like all the, the, the background characters. So yeah, I really don't know what was going on there. Um, the editing I I'm so, so on, it's definitely not the biggest reason I have, you know, trouble with the film, but at times I, I agree. It did seem a little bit jarring. Um, I, I think most of all for me, I think it's what you said, Christian, like there's a theme here and I don't know if I'm getting it as deeply as I should. Um, I, you know, we've got these three women who are kind of connected to this story in this way. And that's kind of interesting at first, but like, and, and they all deal with, like you said, Maddie, mental illness, especially suicide. And, but once I get past that, it's like, and what, you know, and not maybe the film doesn't have to go deeper into that, but it felt like I knew that's what I was getting into. And by the time I reached the end, it's like, I wanted a little bit more, you know, in that. So um, I think for me, it's just one of those films that seems like a really good concept, but I don't even know how I would greatly improve it. It's just one of those, that's, it's a mild movie for me. You know, it, it's good. It's there. Like you said, Christian, most likely won't watch it again. Uh, and yeah, and it, it's weird. I, I didn't think I'd seen a whole lot about this movie very often, but I swear I watched it and starting the next day, I've seen like five people tweet about how much they love it. Since so It's weird. Uh, maybe I'm just now noticing it, but it is very beloved by a lot of people. So I will say that the uh, Philip Glass score in this is pretty good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really I like the that. score in this. Um, oh, gosh. What else was I going to say? Oh, is there any positive? I mean, I wanted to read the book beforehand because, again, seeing this a lot and see if it was any different or if it felt the same feelings, I guess. But I never got a chance to. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know. Yes. Okay. So Be Kind Rewind, which is a great um, video essay on why actresses won the Oscars they did. She does a really good video in explaining why most likely Nicole won. Interesting. Do you remember yeah. like her argument? Uh, um, I know there was a lot of push from Miramax from this, mm. which Miramax is, you know, who. And also she has the narrative of divorcing Tom Cruise. Oh. yeah and seeing that she can come out from that and do such a nice big prestigious role like this yeah well i was looking at the race that year um and i mean most of the year it was kind of a split between her and renee zellweger for chicago and so and, and julianne moore did get one from critics choice so it, it's not like a surprising win most likely by any means but um which I'm not, I'm not saying to that, like Nicole only won because, Hey, I divorced Tom Cruise, but cause right. she's like a really good actress. I mean, the year before we've already talked about Moulin Rouge. She's my personal winner that year for the others. And I mean, she's made like amazing films before and after this, just on her own. It's just that this, like Brett said, is a boring, boring, forgettable role. Yeah. I think that's part of it too. Like kind of like how I felt with like Tilda Swinton winning for Michael Clayton, like, and the Oscars are not about, rewarding an actor's best performance i get that but like when they have so many other great better performances and you go with something like this it just i don't know it kind of dampens it a little bit so 
Christian, do you want to go over um, all the, the wins and noms for this one? Because it did receive quite a bit. Yes. All right. So Nicole Kidman won Best Actress, and then it was nominated for eight other things. So Best Picture, Best Director for Stephen Daldry, Supporting Actress for Julianne, Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, Adapted Screenplay, Costume Design, Film Editing, and Philip Glass's Score was also nominated. Very nice. How do the two of you see it? Do you see an acting supporting split here or do you think there are all three leads? <laughs> it's I, tough. Put, I, mean, I mean, if I were to nominate personally, I go Meryl lead and the other two supporting. Yeah, I would say so. Or I mean, at the most that, but at the least I could see Julianne Moore being supporting and the other two yeah. being leads. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. Uh, Meryl does feel like more of a lead than Nicole does for sure. So, all right. And I'm pretty sure too, um, let's see. I want to give credit to this person. So let me get the name right. So Matthew Stewart on Twitter, Times Performances. Mm, yeah. So talk amongst yourselves for one second and let me find this. No, but I mean, like, I don't even... I don't even really get all that upset about category fraud with the Oscars because it, to me, it's just something that's going to happen. And it was, it was just interesting for this one, um, especially with like Julian getting that double nom. Whatever. So I am ready. Here we go. So he times uh, Academy Award performances winning and nominated. So in the leading actress category, Nicole Kidman is actually the third, uh, the third with the least amount of time. So she's in this movie 23 minutes and Julianne Moore who gets supporting. I don't know. I can't find Meryl's, but Julianne who gets supporting is in this 27 minutes. There you go. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. So interesting there. It's kind of like the, uh, the favorite situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm certainly not one of those that like, yeah, you know, obviously screen time for me is not the end all be all, but I think that they just, they share stories. So it's interesting. I guess Nicole Kidman is Virginia Woolf. So that's probably part of it too, but all right, moving on to our next film, third film in the lineup, Maddie, you want to go ahead and take this one away? Yes. Okay. Buckle in. Cause it's almost four hour long movie. <laughs> all right. Lord of the Rings, the two towers. So we start off right where the previous film ended with the fellowship being split into two groups headed unto their own destinies. On one hand, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are hot on the trail of Merry and Pippin, who were hobbit-napped by a gang of Urukai to be taken back to Saruman and Isengard. Along the way to rescue their friends, the three encounter the unjustly banned horsemen of Rohan to discover King Theoden has been um, has fallen under the influence of Saruman. Merry and Pippin separate from the Urukai and stumble into Fangorn, Fangorn Forest, where they meet the uh, resurrected Gandalf the White, and are introduced to Treebeard, an Ent, aka a shepherd of the forest. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli meet up with Gandalf as well and travel to Edoras, where they meet Theoden and his niece, the shield maiden in secret, Eowyn, and convince them to travel to Helm's Deep to make a stand against the armed forces of Isengard. Meanwhile, 
Frodo and Samwise turn their gaze towards Mordor and away from their former companions. And soon into their journey, they discover the creature known as Gollum is following them. Uh, they capture him and Frodo, understanding the burden Gollum has carried, chooses to trust him as their guide. They travel through the mazes of, of mountains, dead marshes, and right up to the Black Gate of Mordor. And it turns out the Black Gate will be impassable, so they decide to go around with Gollum leading them. Um, during those travels, the men of Gondor, headed by Faramir, Boromir's brother, capture them and nearly turn Frodo and the ring over to Faramir's, Faramir's father to be used as a weapon against Sauron. But he changes his mind and lets him go. Um, on the other side of things, uh, Merry and Pippin convince Treebeard and the other Ents to uh, charge against Isengard and destroy Saruman's industry and just raise the whole area. And then finally, the crescendo of the whole movie, um, the, the allies of men, elves, and one dwarf converge at Helm's Deep and the immense army of Urukai descend, and then there's a bunch of fighting and a huge battle, and basically the Urukai are about to kill everybody, and the last forces of men ride out to meet them and have a glorious death, and behold, Gandalf flanks them with the banished horseman of Rohan, and they save the day, yay. Yada yada, basically at the end of the movie, we leave off with Aragorn, Lake Blossom, Gimli, saying they have to warn Gondor that Sauron is going to descend on them next. And that's it. That's all that happens. And there's still another movie. Still another movie. (laughs) Well, I mean, I love this movie. This is the first time I've watched any of the theatrical releases i've only watched the extended versions um because that's what my sister had and i've seen them so many times that it's interesting to see what you miss had missed in the theater by watching the theatrical version um but i mean it's wonderful storytelling the attention to detail is extensive and immense and the dedication of everybody is very apparent the scenery beautiful new zealand amazing costumes kick ass special effects groundbreaking i mean this is the first time we see Gollum, right so because we didn't see him in the first movie they didn't quite know what he was gonna look like um and andy circus just gave such an astounding performance that they decided to mocap him instead of just having him do the voiceover um I don't know. I mean, it's great. I love it. It's wonderful. It maybe it let's see. I agree with the things it was nominated for, for sure. Um but I don't know. Peter Jackson for Lord of the Rings, I feel like deserved a nomination for director in all three movies. Yeah. Um a lot of how I feel is pretty similar to when we talked about fellowship. And so I, it's just a testament to like the continuation that happens with these movies and Peter Jackson, you know, just having this big vision, you know, that he brought to life with all three of them. Um, yeah. I mean, first off, I, I think it's just, it's just wild to me that we have this undeniable cinematic achievements that 
we, you know, we got to witness three times, you know, three different movies. And this got the least Oscar noms of all five best picture nominees. That is stupid to me. I, that, that makes no sense. Um, and so, you know, especially when the, the first film got like 13, this one is stuck with six, you know, not that that's bad, but it's definitely an unexpected, unexpectedly low showing. Um, but there are so many plot points throughout this that are so just essential to moving it along. I'm just so impressed because to me, I mean, my one, you know, I, I don't even know if it's a criticism so much as an observation, but like, it's so clear this is a middle movie. It's so clear that, you know, we've had a beginning, this is kind of the middle bridge and we're going to move on to a conclusion, but it doesn't lull. Um, it doesn't feel longer than the fellowship to me. Sure. The fellowship is like everything you want in a movie, but it keeps moving. It's constantly interesting. And I echo everything you said about Andy circus should have been up for best supporting actor this year. He is absolutely astounding. Um, and I, in terms of like, not just Oscars, but overall, Andy Serkis is one of the most underappreciated actors out there. I mean, there may be others that does what he do, but not to the level he does it and not to the level of like influence that he does it. And I think Gollum is probably his most, surely his most iconic character um, that he's done with the, with all his roles. So that should have gotten more attention. And yeah, I mean, I just... I like how it moves along. I love how it, it just goes deeper and deeper into the lore. Like I said, with the fellowship, it introduces new characters, but I don't feel overwhelmed like I do with like Game of Thrones. Um, not like dog on Game of Thrones, but like Game of Thrones, I feel overwhelmed with all the characters. Here, I don't. I think it introduces them well. So um, really awesome. It, it's 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 a blast, but it's also extremely artistic obviously and um it is the and i still I, it's been a while a long time since i've seen return of the king but like preliminarily i say you know it's the least great of the three it's not the worst it's the least great so that's kind of how i see it looks like meat's back on the menu boy <laughs> that line spoken of course by uh, john c Riley again but no, that's that's a funny line in there because I saw on Twitter like last week, how do orcs know the concept of what a menu is? So, but no, yes, it is a middle wow. movie. Right? <laughs> this is a middle movie. It definitely feels like it. I, it doesn't get the full five-star rating for me, but it is incredible in every other sense. And I was looking up because Maddie brought up um, the Battle of Helm's Deep and that's like 40 minutes long. And before that, one of the, the last episodes of Game of Thrones in that last season, this was like the longest single battle moment. So yeah, I mean, again, like Maddie said, attention to detail in this is everywhere. It's a good looking film. And I will never forget seeing this on Christmas night, 2002, in the little town where I was. And little me just being like, whoa, when Gandalf comes back with like that army, it's like, oh my God, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a good movie. I, I mean, I cannot believe that it only has six nominations to its name that I don't know if that's telling you like, Oh, we're tired for this year. Let's just wait till next year to do this. We'll do this next year. Or it was a stacked year in all these categories, 
But like Maddie said, where's like Peter Jackson's nomination? He did not get nominated for this. He's doing great work on this. I mean, this is like, you probably could not make this again with the amount of sophistication there is because there's just like the right amount of CGI because you know, if he were to make this today, it would be like the Hobbit and fall into everything is CGI. Yeah. Yeah. Maddie knows what I mean. Brett, you've seen the Hobbit. I mean. Which one? Which of the three? Exactly. There's, there's three movies of the Hobbit. And yeah. I but mean, yeah. To be, to be fair about that, it's like so hard because Peter Jackson wanted to do Lord of the Rings. But did he want to do the Hobbit? <laughs> it shows he did not. I mean, like, because the amount of pre-production, I don't know how many, is it like six like six to nine years of pre-production for Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty and sure then, that these were done in like 2000. Yeah. Even, I mean, pre-production like, with oh, all the like artistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like with pre-production. No, God, imagine. No, but like <laughs> versus The Hobbit, he had to scrap, you know, all of Guillermo del Toro's pre-production because they're like crazily different directors. So you have like, a year of production like six months mm-hmm. and it just you know those seeing like next to each other it's like yeah you can tell he really appreciates um practical effects because mm-hmm. they they are real you know they are real so they look real cgi can look as real as it looks but you can still tell you know yeah. um but i agree i can't imagine what would happen if it was tried to be made this year i feel like there would be a much bigger push for cgi than letting him do all of the practical stuff that he originally did it'd be made in georgia yeah no kidding right (laughs) yeah i i think to your point uh maddie about like the the visual effects being so groundbreaking even if even for the the actors that may seem a little aged in 2021 you know, almost 20 years later, compare this to Minority Report or to even Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets or even Spider-Man that all came out this year. The visual effects here hold up so much better than those other movies. Like it's, it's not even close to me. So it's pretty astounding that what they did with all that. Also the script of this, it has the, uh, which I talked about this the last uh, episode of the Mary Poppins effect where the book is meh, the script turned the movie is like amazing because the book of this divides it into pretty much Legolas, Jim Lee, Aragorn, Gandalf into the first half, Frodo, Sam, Gollum into the second half. There's no mixing of it. So it's like, I like the mixing of it because I just don't want to focus on like this side of it and then you're done. Let's not focus on these two, you know, and Maddie, you probably know that because you probably read these, right? Yeah, you have. Yeah, totally. And I feel like, yeah, it, I mean, overall, I like the movies better than the books. Absolutely. Like it's, yeah, but he intended for it to be one big book. So like Mm -hmm. it kind of is split up if you think of all three of them as one book, (laughs) but yeah, I can't imagine how like, the pacing would just take a nosedive or or it would just completely ramp up depending on which story they put first but yeah thank god they mixed it together right 
Yeah, and and then the he takes out the spider stuff for the last one, right? Yeah, spider ones. Yeah, okay. So the spider stuff is in the next movie, but it's in this book, which makes more sense oh. to be the last movie. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and also I will say to people out there, this is on HBO Max. If you've never seen it before, I would definitely just watch the extended cut. Because I watched, yeah, Maddie's cheering. I watched the theatrical cut. I normally now watch extended cut and I miss things that I remember from extended. Yeah. And it's like almost, four, like she said, it's almost like four some hours, but it's worth it. You know what feels longer? Gangs in New York. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Very nice. Maddie, do you want to go over uh, the pretty short list of what this won and it was nominated for? Yeah, it is a short list. So the two Oscar wins were for sound editing and visual effects. Thank you, Weta Workshop. And then the four additional noms are picture, art direction, film editing, and sound. Yeah, Christian, it must be what you say. Like they were just tired this year. Because like, how do you, how do you watch Fellowship, and then advance here and then like Return of the King and be like, oh no, like. Peter Jackson's direction is really good in those two, but there's just like, it's not very good in the middle one. I'm just like weird, but also, I mean like things missing here, like costumes, cinematography. Also, I don't, they have like a cinematography thing against the Lord of the Rings because I'm pretty sure only the fellowship wins the next year. Return of the King. Spoiler alert. It's not nominated. Yeah. This is true. Awesome. Well, any oh. further thoughts on, um, yeah, Christian, do you have a further thought? I feel on like I always interrupt you and you say, hey, any further <laughs> thoughts? Again, we're talking about a post 9-11 world. And yes, there was somebody putting to consideration, maybe we should change the title of this movie for obvious reasons. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, of course. They're like, it has, it's the book. <laughs> All right. Well, I will introduce our next film which even more controversial than two films that feature two towers prominently is the pianist. Um, and so this was, like we said, directed by Roman Polanski, who is exiled. Get him. In... Get him. <laughs> Who's exiled in France uh, for um, sexually molesting a young girl uh, way back in what, like early seventies, uh, something like that. So yeah. Um, awful man, awful figure, but his movie got in and he won best director for it. So this is the story of a Polish musician named, oh gosh, it's been so long since I watched it. His last name is Spielman. Um, let's go with that Spielman. And he lives in the Warsaw ghetto, you know, during world war two when Nazis are invading Poland and forcing everyone to extermination camps. And so this is a true story. Um, Spielman was a pianist who played on radio shows and was pretty popular at that time um, for people, you know, who lived in Warsaw. Um, and what it really is, is just the story of his experiences and his survival um, being in the Warsaw ghetto, um, narrowly avoiding going to an extermination camp and really just spending years kind of hiding out and trying to lay low so he doesn't get caught and sent somewhere um, as a Jewish man at that time. And so 
I mean, that's pretty much what the plot consists of. We follow his every move for these, you know, for, you know, five, six years, whatever it might be um, until the war ends. And he is able to, you know, kind of go back into the world, although never the same. So um, it does feature the Oscar winning performance from Adrian Brody, who I, I think is just excellent here. I think it's, it's an extremely hard role to play. Um, cause he, he spends so much time in silence and without other people around. And obviously the content is extremely heavy and whatnot. Um, and so, but I think he does it extremely well. I think, you know, for those that were nominated that year, um, I haven't seen all of them, but like, from what I have seen, I think he was completely deserving of that win. Not a fan of the way he accepted it, obviously, but, um, really deserving win. And yeah, there's, there's a lot kind of similar, you know, to a lot of historical dramas of this type, especially those that are centered on the Holocaust. It is extremely difficult to watch. Um, at the beginning, I was worried it was just going to like completely focus on that and to just be like nonstop brutal the entire time. But I think it does do it realistically um, and really like focusing in on this one character you know we're not here to show you every single brutal thing that happened during the holocaust we're going to show you how this man survived and so i do appreciate it for sticking to that um but it's a fascinating story the production design here is amazing the costumes are uh so well done um every narrative beat it's another long one it's two and a half hours and you know i was definitely intrigued the entire time so hate that this was probably the runner up for best picture uh, just cause I, I can't imagine Polanski winning picture and director. I mean, director's bad enough. Um, so think we'll get to it, but thank goodness Chicago won. Um, but regardless, I will say, you know, just look at the film itself. It is, it's a great movie. So take it away. It's yeah, it is. I love this movie. And again, I hate saying it because of who made it but it's so tragic. It's so personal. Um, if you read up on Polanski's younger life, he did, he, he is a survivor of the Holocaust himself. Yeah. So there's a lot of personal moments in this as well. And I think I actually read that this, the part where Brody's character, they say don't run to him also happened to Polanski at one point in his life. Um, but yeah, I, I love Adrian Brody's performance in this it's haunting once he gets to the part where he is just near death's door and his fingers are slowly like playing an invisible piano. That's like the most heartbreaking scene. And Brody's actually in like my top 10 best acting win performances ever. Yeah. It's yeah. that good. But yeah. And I do like, like Brett said, I do like that this does not focus totally on the Holocaust, the brutality of it, but we get to see just one individual story. It's like one individual story among many individual stories. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what, but what makes this person so special? You know, you might have that question, but it's an interesting story. Again, true story here of um, Spielman. Um, but yeah, I actually watched this on the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And that wasn't planned by any means. I happened to find that out the, like the second the movie ended, it popped up on my Facebook. So that was very, very timely. But I really do like this film a lot. And it is two and a half hours. But unlike some movies that we've already spoken <laughs> about, it does not feel that long at all. 
But yes, it's it's a great film. And it's I think it's on Netflix, actually. Still, yeah. it might be. I don't know if it still is, but that's how I watched it. Same. Yeah, I enjoyed this movie, if one can say that about this movie. <laughs> I thought it was really, I haven't seen a lot of Holocaust movies. I mean, I've seen Schindler's List, but I haven't yet been introduced from the viewpoint of somebody who lived in the ghetto throughout the war. Um, usually it, you know, takes you to the concentration camps and that is where you live the rest of the film. So it was really interesting to see that perspective of the war. Um, yeah, Adrian Brody gives a phenomenal performance. He really dedicated himself to this role and the things that he did in his own personal life to get into that character's headspace. Um, it was also really, I feel like his deterioration as time went on felt very real. Um, there were like so many instances where I was like, ah, now he gets to take a break and rest for a second. It's like, no, he has no time. There is no time. He is always moving, always surviving, always making it to the next checkpoint, basically in his yeah survival story. Um, I would definitely want to read the book after this because <clears throat> it's just... It's just remarkable, really, how all of this transpired. Um, but yeah, I thought everybody's performance was really, really great. Um, the pacing was good. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, there are actually three things I just thought of as the two of you were talking about it. And one, the title, um, before watching the movie, I was just like, oh, like, he's a piano player you know, he's a pianist. So of course, but like, that's literally how he survives. Um, you know, he, he's pull, he's avoids the, the concentration camps because someone recognizes him. He plays the piano for the guard and just a, a huge point of the story, which is really interesting. Um, Adrian Brody, I don't know if the two of you have looked at like his recent film roles. He's like the new Nicolas Cage, like I, his recent movies are so weird, like things I've never heard of. And they look like weird action movies, a lot of them, but need to get Adrian. He's in the French dispatch next year. So interested to see him there. He actually, the day that we're recording, this was announced for season three of the HBO show succession. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, and yeah. And I was just you know, thinking like, obviously like I did not watch this Oscar ceremony, but if I being the Oscar follower that I know now, if I had just watched this win a lead acting award, a screenplay award, and then director, I would have been convinced it was winning best picture. Like I would have in that moment probably thought this is taking it. Um, which is just really, really interesting to think about in retrospect. I don't know if people thought that at the time as they were watching, but Really, I can imagine Twitter blowing up if that happened today. I guess I saw somewhere like um, leading up to this year's Oscars that uh, back in uh, 2003 campaign season that Jack Nicholson had a lot of push for this to win something and a lot of push for Adrian. And I guess probably the narrative there was like Daniel and I and Nicolas Cage and Michael Caine, we've all won something. I mean, give the oh, plus Roman yeah. Polanyi, he's my best friend, you know. Yeah. Weird. Also, um, it's 
uh, Vlad, it's pronounced Vladislav, Vladislav Spielman. I looked up how to pronounce it properly. So perfect. But yeah. Um, but yeah, his win is pretty, I mean, it's, it's a really amazing win and you see how happy he is when he wins it. And then he does something that is kind of boneheaded and would not go with today or even then he goes up and yeah. kisses Holly Berry and it's very weird. Yeah. Just like grabs her without her consent. And, mm. Yeah. And the fact too, that that clip, you cannot find it on YouTube anywhere. Yeah. Interesting. And then the next year, okay, I'm sorry, I have to spoil this, but the next year when he's presenting Best Actress, he sprays his mouth with like, you know, freshener. And that's even more weird because 13-year-old Keisha Castle Hughes is nominated. What if she would have won? Um, Yeah, I mentioned the three wins that got director, actor, and adapted screenplay. It was also nominated for picture, um, cinematography, costume design, and film editing. So seven total nominations on the night. The adapted screenplay win is kind of weird as well. What else was up for that? I want to see. So about a boy adaptation, Chicago in the hours. So you like, where's the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Wow. They just were not feeling that movie. All right. Any further thoughts on this film before we move on to our best picture winner? Would would they give this to Roman Polanski today? It's an obvious question and an obvious answer. I want to say no, but part of me is like, maybe I I don't know I I don't know I was I would I would say no, but you never know at the Oscars. Uh, yeah, I mean the man just announced like his next project. So yeah, he did, and he just won like a ton of French. Like the French Academy gave him a bunch of awards last year over Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So, yeah, yeah. the Caesar Awards. All right, Christian, are you ready to take us away with our best picture winner from that night? Yes, yes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to hear a story of murder, greed, corruption, exploitation, adultery, and treachery. All these things we hold near and dear to our hearts. Thank you. Clap. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so the uh, Oscar goes to, or excuse me, as uh, Kurt, D- Kurt, Kirk, Kurt, Kirk Douglas said, the winner is, for whatever reason, the winner in Chicago. Yes, that's our best picture winner. My God. And it became like one of my favorite movies of all time it's so great anyway chicago directed by rob marshall it is based on the candor and ebb we talked about them with cabaret a stage musical of the same name and it is about roxy hart she kills her lover and she goes to prison where she meets uh, such eccentric characters like velma kelly and major mama morton and obviously she wants to get off because she claims that, you know, she didn't do it. Obviously she did do that. So she hires Billy Flynn, who is a big hotshot lawyer and their alibi or the reasoning of her to get off is uh, her and her lover both reach for the gun. And yeah, it's a musical, as we said, it's beautifully staged, my God, I love it. But uh, it really explores as I watched it this time and paid more like super, super focused on it. It pays a lot of 
quote unquote tribute to fame and sort of the courtroom drama aspect of it. I think of it more of the like the OJ Simpson trial with celebrity and how celebrity gets involved in these trial situations. But it stars Renee Zellweger as Roxy Hart, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Velma Kelly, Queen Latifah as Matron Mama Morton, John C. Riley as her husband Amos, and Richard Gere, who is, was terribly overlooked for the Oscars this year, as the lawyer Billy Flynn. But as I said, this is one of my favorite films of all time. I watched it in like sixth grade. I was blown away by it. I'm still blown away by it. The production value of this film is like the best production value of a musical that I have ever seen. I think it is staged perfectly by Rob Marshall. Um, I have seen the stage production of this and compared to it, I know they're too similar. They're not supposed to be two similar things, but it doesn't hold a candle to the stage production at all. I didn't care for the stage production. And I think the biggest reason is because all of this is supposed to be told through Roxy's mind and her imagination, while in the stage production, it's not. I think that makes a big difference here. Um, the song Roxy is one of the most well-choreographed things in this film. Renee Zellweger is just incredible. Catherine is such incredible. The costumes are amazing. The fact that there's only two bits of CGI in this thing, fun fact. Like, yeah. And then, I mean, watching this and thinking this is the last musical to win Best Picture, it is a worth, it is a worthy Best Picture winner. I don't care what anybody says because people brush this to the wayside. It is one of the best, best picture winners. I'll say that right here. It's like, I mean, top 10 for me, probably. I don't know. I have to relook at my rankings, but it's perfect. It's lovely. It's amazing. I want Maddie to go next because she's seen it because I want, I want the newbie last. Uh, yeah, I've seen this movie probably like six or seven times i don't even know it's 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 something the jazz man no but yeah like the staging is probably my favorite that i've seen in a musical movie because i feel like and you see this and it's people talk about it and the producers they kind of struggle with adapting it from the stage to the screen but i feel like they do it flawlessly in Chicago being able to do both having it on a stage setting as well as happening in the the real life or whatever um all the actors are great they can all sing you know which is not a lame issue that they had <laughs> thankfully um but all the choreography it's a lot of fun it's very um it feels a little like hysterical at times. Um, yeah, I, it's definitely like in my top five, probably of what I've seen best picture wins for sure. And you, uh, cell block tango. That's all I need to say. No. Uh, but yeah, cell block tango is amazing. It's, I, I just love that, that, kind of characterizes what I really enjoy most about the film. That's the way it introduces the characters because they, they come in and they all get their musical number and whatnot. And at first it almost like I was taken aback by it because I didn't really didn't know much of anything about this movie going in aside from 
you know, the, the basics, it was adapted from a stage play. It was one of Christian's favorites. I knew the actors in it and, but the way it introduces everybody and the way it goes into its musical numbers and the staging, like you both said, was new to me. And at first I was like, whoa. And I was like, wow, okay. I'm really digging this. Um, the way it kind of structures around that way. Um, but I agree on the staging and I think why it works so well as you can tell, like it's paying homage to its stage roots, but it doesn't feel like it still feels like a film. Um, it, it's, you know, it's cinema. Um, and the performances are really great all around. You know, this got uh, four acting nominations. Very easy to see why. Um, Catherine Zaya-Jones, I'm glad, you know, she was, I think she's a great best supporting actress winner because her character comes in and you're just kind of drawn to her and, you know, kind of, they're all kind of seedy in this in a weird way. And it's, you know, it's so interesting to see where do they come from? I want to know more, but really Renee Zellweger blew me away. I was just like, I didn't expect this from her. This doesn't feel like a typical role for her. And she knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, Roxy, she, she just, she brings her to life. Like you both said, she can sing. Um, her character is so fun because at times, you know, she's like, you know, I I'm rooting for her, but I'm also not rooting for her. It's one of those complex characters and things like that. Um, you know, the songs are all great. You know, like I said, best moment is for me is cell block tango and the way they're all introduced in that scene. Um, but I agree too. Like when, when Richard Gere comes in and that kind of plot line takes over, it's just, it's electric um, to see how that moves along and whatnot. So it's great. Um, and I agree, Christian, it feels like this has been passed over a little bit at times. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't see why. I think it's a really worthy best picture winner. It's a fun best picture winner. It's one that you can, like, it's one of those best picture winners. I feel like I could, you know, sit down with someone who doesn't watch the Oscars, doesn't watch a lot of movies and we'll all have fun with it, you know? And so, um, but in a way that's also really well done. So, yeah. I'm glad you liked it because you better have liked it. <laughs> I was so actually, Christian hired somebody there behind me. You can't see him. They have me at gunpoint. So I have to say all this or else. Yeah. So um, I was just going to say it's, and I was talking to this about, about it with Toby when we were watching it, but there was a lot of say in like, who was going to be Roxy and Velma and all that. And one of the options that was super close to being Roxy was Tony Collette. Ooh. Yeah. And Tony Collette actually has a Tony nomination for a musical she was in. So it's like, she can sing. Mm. Oh my God. But I, there's probably something to do with Weinstein in that too. Yeah. But like Renee Zellweger is just amazing in this. Honestly, I love it. I love it. I'm sorry. I love everything about this. What's your favorite song? Everybody go. Mm. And you can't say Cell Block Tango again. Yeah, I know. Um, I want to make mine sure. Is, mine is Roxy. So just FYI. Roxy's up there for sure. I like predetermined what yours would be. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting it. I, I also, and maybe it's just cause oftentimes with musicals, I also just like how they fit into the story. And with Velma singing, I can't do it alone. 
especially coming right after Roxy. I really like that one too. So that's up there. Maddie. God, that's so hard. Um, definitely going to say I really like all that jazz because it really just sums everything up. My three are probably all that jazz, Roxy, and then probably controversially, Mr. Cellophane. That's the one I thought Brett was going to pick too. <laughs> I like that everybody, one. Everybody loves that song. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Um, I also want to say that, and we talked about this with Les Mis, but in Les Mis, they put the original Jean Valjean in this. In Chicago, they cameoed the original Velma Kelly, Cheetah Rivera. Oh. Yes, she nice. is the one who's like, all right, is this your first time here? You're going to be mama. You're going to love her. Yeah, that's Cheetah Rivera. But, uh, and another sort of thing, I mean, Chicago as of now, is still running on Broadway. Again, it's not like the best thing ever, but there was fear that this would close Chicago on Broadway because people would be like, hey, it's you know a movie we can watch over and over again instead of paying a hundred bucks to see it. I mean, clearly that didn't happen because again, like I said, Chicago is still on Broadway. Broadway's opening again this fall and Chicago will still be there in all its essence. And it's a very stripped down version than this movie. I don't care if you see it or not. If you ever get the chance, it's not that good. Just watch the damn movie. <laughs> very nice uh christian this one had a lot of wins and a lot of noms so do you want to run over those real quick yes so it won best picture best supporting actress for Catherine, uh best art direction costume design film editing and sound and it was nominated for best director for rob marshall who won the director's guild of america awards and then did not win this so i don't know best actress for renee Queen Latifah for Best Supporting Actress, Supporting Actor for John C. Riley. Again, Richard Gere did not get in this, even though he won the Globe. Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, and Candor and Ebb wrote an original song called I Move On, which was performed by Catherine Zeta-Jones and Queen Latifah that, that year at the Oscars. Yeah, and it's an actually a pretty good performance that they do. And it's a, it's a decent song at the, end of the, at the end of the film there. But yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned director. That was also a tight race. Okay, so Critics' Choice went to Spielberg for Cash Me If You Can Minority Report. Golden Globes went to Marty. BAFTA went to Polanski. Directors Guild, like you said, went to Marshall. So BAFTA, BAFTA had it that year. Interesting. Um, yeah, the other thing too, I don't... This film represents something that isn't common with best picture anymore and, and lord of the ring you know return of the king would kind of do that again the next year but this was like the technical film winner of the year like none of its wins aside from best picture are above the line and like these days it's like technical wins don't even matter that much anymore as long as you hit a few above the line categories so it's kind of interesting that shift over time and it's kind of it, it also opened up the musicals, the musical genre of the 2000s, where you get like Dreamgirls and Mamma Mia, Les Mis, I guess. <laughs> but this is like, you can thank all of that for Chicago. Nice. Honestly, and Brett, you told me to make a list. I mean, <laughs> I think Chicago would be way, way up there. And we're talking about like a pure stage musical turned adaptation, like it's Chicago for me. Of like your favorite musicals? Yeah. 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 
I figured it would be near the top. It's just so good. It is. It's very enjoyable. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. All right. Any further thoughts on that before we go into ranking these nominees? All right. So we'll figure out if we think the Oscars got it right this year, and we will go ahead and rank these films. Maddie, do you want to go ahead and take us away from number five up to one? Yes. So my number five was Gangs of New York because I was just real tired of it (laughs) by the end of it. (laughs) And then uh, I went ahead with The Hours and number three, I had The Pianist and number two, The Two Towers. And finally, number one, Chicago. I think they got it right this year. Very nice. Well, I'm going to say the suspense for Christians because I have no idea what his number one is. Um, you know, my I'm, I'll go next. My number five is, uh, and this is actually the only difference between my list and yours, Maddie. I have the, the hours at number five, four gangs of New York, three the pianists, uh, two the two towers, and number one Chicago. Christian, well, mine is the same as Brett's. I have the hours, gangs, the penis, the two towers, and did they get it right? They certainly did. It is Chicago. Yes. And as you can probably guess, um, our overall ranking that Toby does every time, uh, same as Christian and I, hours, gangs, pianists, two towers, and we all agree the Academy actually got it right this year. So go Chicago. Awesome. Well, Thanks once again to everyone um, tuning in. Thanks for listening. Um, it was fun to go over, which really was a, a pretty good group of nominees this year. And so we will continue this once again. In our next episode, we will do a year in review for 2002, um, a group of films that I'm just as excited for as I was to talk about these. So that'll be a lot of fun. Be sure to tune into that. Um, and as always, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Um, we're pretty much everywhere you can find your podcasts and follow us on all the social media, as well as our website, guildedfilms.com. Thanks once again to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our theme music. And Maddie, thanks for joining us on this episode. It was great to have you back and look forward to the next one. Any final thoughts from you? Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun as always. I really enjoyed the series of movies. I feel like all of them, except for the hours, probably Mm -hmm. deserve to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, I know, even though I ranked it second to last. I know, I know. But I had a lot of fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll see you for the, the year in review episode. Yes. Christian, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, no, it was a great year. I mean, I ignore the other four Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to, uh, I'm actually excited to talk about the honorable mentions because this is a year where I went to the theater a lot, even though I was what, like eight. Yeah. Yeah. I went every Friday during the summer. Yeah. Very nice. Cinemark was cheap back then. It was like three bucks a ticket. (laughs) Very nice. But yes, we will have a lot of those honorable mentions and six more films to discuss next time. So be sure to tune in then. 